This is a Shock Podcast. Shock. Hello and welcome to the Podball Sportscast, the podcast that's under new management, just like Manchester United. Um, today in the House of Pod, we have somebody who has that annoying middle manager energy. I'm talking about <laughs> Mr. Nicholas John. Hello, hello. I am Faisal American. The only thing I manage is to get out of bed five minutes before I start work. Uh, the joys are still working from home. Karami Kamil is not here. He hasn't woken up yet. Lucky git. If you're a Manchester United fan, I've got good news and bad news. Let's start with the good news first, right? After months of speculation, Manchester United have finally announced their next permanent manager. Eric Ten Hag will join them from Ajax at the end of the season on an initial three-year deal with a one-year extension option if he lasts that long. <laughs> Now, at Ajax, uh, Ten Hag has won two league titles and uh, two Dutch Cup trophies. And in 2019, he was named the uh, fourth best men's coach by FIFA. Now, Nick, as a, as a United fan, how excited are you about Ten Hag? Or uh, are you excited at all? <laughs> I am tempering my expectations. Uh, no doubt, Ten Hag comes with a very impressive resume. You know, he's done tremendously well, like you mentioned, with Ajax. Uh, his former clubs in the Netherlands, as well as uh, Bayern Munich in Germany, they only have nice things to say about him. And he does seem to have all the, the right attributes, if you like, you know, required of a good coach. You know, he's got good tactical awareness. Um, apparently, he's got an almost obsessive attention to detail, uh, kind of like Pep Guardiola. Plus, he's one of those coaches that favours youth, which is something that United can relate to. But having been through this, this new manager dance before, I think we have to be realistic about our expectations. And importantly, I think, number one, he needs to be given time to do his job because the scale of the rebuilding required at Man United now is such that we are not going to see a significant improvement anytime soon. In fact, if you ask me, I don't think we'll see a significant improvement for a few seasons. So the owners, and especially the supporters, cannot be calling for Ten Hag's head as soon as he starts losing a few matches. And if you remember, Sir Alex Ferguson uh, was at United for, if I'm not mistaken, four or five seasons before he finally won his first trophy. Yeah, and at one point, he was almost sacked, right? Yeah, he, he was almost on the verge of being sacked. But thankfully, you know, karma heads prevailed. So can you imagine if they had sacked Ferguson for, you know, failing to win anything in his first one or two seasons, Man United mm. would never have been the massive club that it is today. So similarly, Ten Hag needs to be given enough time to implement the changes that are needed at the club. He needs to be given the support to bring in the players that he wants, uh, to instill the style of play that he wants. Because if you bring him in to transform the club, then you need to give him the authority and the autonomy you know, to, to make changes and, and to do things as he sees fit. You've hit the nail on the head. Lah. Um, and we've been through this before. United announced a new manager, uh, someone who's renowned, has pedigree to put them back in the top, only for it to turn into an absolute dumpster fire in hell. <clears throat> Van Gaal and Mourinho. <laughs> How much do you think he can realistically achieve uh, if the only major change we're seeing is 
a new head coach. I mean, the scouting and recruitment policies, it's still the same jokers in charge of that. Scouting and recruitment, they're at least a decade behind Liverpool and Man City. Worst of all, they have the same owners and leadership structure uh, and they treat the club more like a brand than a, you know, a sports team. <laughs> like I said earlier, you know, Man United in its current form is a club that needs rebuilding from the bottom up. You know, uh, the recruitment policy, like you mentioned, the way the owners run the club, all that needs to change as well, not just the manager and the players. Because just bringing in a new manager and a few players every now and then to try and, and solve their problems and change their fortunes would be like putting a, a tiny plaster on a massive gaping wound. You know, it's just not enough. So the, the entire structure at the club, you know, everything from the academy setup the recruitment policy, the coaching, instilling the right philosophy among the players, all that needs a revamp. And, and, and even the stadium and the trading ground are in need of renovation. So literally and figuratively, uh, United are in need of some, some serious rebuilding. So the manager alone is not going to be able to, to, to you know, make these changes. The support has to, to come from, from every level and even the supporters, like, like I mentioned earlier. The supporters need to be patient as well and give uh, the necessary time for all these improvements to be made. Uh, moving on from future Man United to the current crap one. Uh, they <laughs> lost 4-0 to Liverpool at Anfield in midweek. Now, everyone agrees they were horrible. They played like schoolboys. But look on the bright side. Uh, United lost 5-0 to Liverpool at Old Trafford. So, yay for progress. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, at least it wasn't five again. Uh, but look, as a United fan, this one was very, very difficult to watch. It, this was a right and proper thrashing. And the thrashing was not just the scoreline, but also the manner in which Liverpool completely and utterly dominated United. And that, for me, was the hardest thing to accept. Because, look, based on United's current form, Nobody realistically expected them to go to Anfield and come away with a win. But the United fans did expect them to at least put up a fight because this is Man United versus Liverpool. It's one of the oldest, most bitter rivalries in English, if not world football. But the United players did not treat it as such. You know, they, they lacked creativity. There was hardly any effort in the first half. They did improve somewhat in the second half, but even then, there was not enough quality up front for them to score. But most importantly, they lacked fighting spirit. Now, in his mm -hmm. uh, post-match comments, I think Gary Neville was talking about what the United-Liverpool matches used to be like back in his time. And, and, and he said that even though United were the big team and Liverpool weren't as good then as they are now, whenever the two teams meet, it was always a difficult game. Regardless of their position in the table, they never made it easy for the other side. You know, you can lose other games, but when it comes to United versus Liverpool, do or die, neither side wants mm -hmm. to lose. And that attitude, that spirit was simply missing from the United players this time. You know, instead, half of them looked like they didn't want to be there and the other half looked like, you know, they were trying to figure they out... They weren't there. What I, yeah, <laughs> they weren't there. Trying to figure out what's happening. So they were just lost. And... You know, looking, remembering how those United Liverpool matches used to be like in the past, this one was just, it was nothing mm. like it. It was, it, was, it was horrible, like you said. Well, there was at least one player who had that fighting spirit, but I think he took that 
a bit too literally, don't you think? Uh, the youngster Hannibal. What was his last name? Yeah. Lecter. <laughs> Eating his opponents. Huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. He he was brought on as a late substitute. Not two minutes, I think, on the field. He got a yellow card for a dangerous tackle. And then almost two minutes after that, again, he almost got sent off for, for another... A dangerous challenge. And I think one of the commentators actually mentioned, and he said that, yeah, at least he's got fighting spirit, you know, which you, you can't say the same for the other United players. The match was a great outing for Mo Salah, who scored twice at Anfield. He also scored a hat-trick in the reverse fixture, making him the first player to score five goals against United in the Premier League era. FSG, where's his bloody contract? Um, <laughs> it also catapulted him to the uh, top 20 of the all-time goal scorers list. Uh, also, kudos to the Anfield crowd, uh, the way they cheered uh, Cristiano Ronaldo um, as a tribute following the tragic death of his uh, newborn child. Anyway, Liverpool remain one point behind leaders Man City. City had a 3-0 win over Brighton. It was also a good day for City boss Pep Guardiola. He broke Jose Mourinho's record for claiming 250 wins in the uh, fewest amount of games. Meanwhile, the battle for fourth is looking more and more like a two-horse race. Uh, Arsenal beat Chelsea 4-2 away at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel blamed it on a bad pitch. First, I thought it was a BS excuse. And then I realized it's probably true because of the sanctions. They can't afford to maintain it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Arsenal are now level with fourth place Tottenham behind Spurs and goal difference. Um, like I said, is it a two-horse race or are Manchester United still in it? <laughs> you could even finish that sentence, right? Um, look, okay. Mathematically, of course, yeah. United are still in it, but realistically, um, and, and this coming from a United fan, I think this season is a write-off. This is it. Uh, it, it it's damage limitation, damage control from here on. Uh, it, it's a two-horse race, Arsenal and Spurs. And it, it's really turning out to be a nail-biter. You know? and, and the fact that it's these two bitter North London rivals makes it even more interesting. Uh, they've got six games to go. Only goal difference, like you mentioned, separating the, the two sides. So... Uh, and we've spoken about this in, in one of our earlier shows. This could go down to the final day of the season. But then also bear in mind that Arsenal have to travel to Spurs next month. So this particular uh, upcoming North London derby will have more than just pride at stake. Uh, there's actual you know, Champions League qualification uh, on the line as well. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. Outside of football, uh, Carlos Sainz will be with the Ferrari Formula 1 team for a while longer. You could say Carlos signs a new contract. Ouch. <laughs> and in the distance, you can hear Mick Schumacher shouting, No! Um, also in the uh, world of tennis, Wimbledon announced a ban on both Russian and Belarusian players over the uh, Ukraine invasion. This means that world number two, Daniil Medvedev, and eighth-ranked uh, Andrei Rublev are out for the men's singles. While in the women's draw, um, Belarusian Arina Sabalenka will be absent. Uh, she's ranked fourth in the world. Uh, not everybody's happy about it. Rublev is one for obvious reasons. But also, uh, Mr. I totally love vaccinations, Novak Djokovic. 
Um, he said it's unfair to penalize players who had nothing to do with the conflict. Now, uh, Nick, I understand both sides of the argument, both for and against, but what do you think about this? Um, for once, I agree with Djokovic. Uh, it, it is incredibly unfair to punish a player for something that they are not responsible for. Uh, the war in Ukraine is the fault of the Russian government, not Daniil Medvedev, not Andrei Rublev. They, they, they've got nothing to do with the conflict, you know, other than, you know, being guilty by association, you know, just because they are, they are Russian citizens. All the other Grand Slams and tour events allow Russian and Belarusian players to play as neutrals. So that means no Russian flag, no anthem, no nationality mentioned, which is fair enough. I, I think that is, is the right way to go about it because the objective here is to punish Russia and the Russian regime, not individual Russian citizens and Russian players who've got nothing to do with the war. So, Formula, you know, I, I'm looking at this and, and I'm seeing the decision by Wimbledon organizers as maybe a political one, you know, to, to score political brownie points. And it most definitely does not appear to have the players' uh, best interest at heart. Yeah, but by that logic, um, that means you would have Nikita Mazepin back at Haas. And we don't want that. Okay. <laughs> the issue there wasn't so much Mazepin himself, but uh, his dad and and the, the the financial backing that they were bringing to the Haas team because his dad was was making money through the Russian regime and and he was a close ally of Putin. Probably made his fortune through you know favors that he obtained from Putin and all that. But players like like uh, Medvedev and Rublev and all that, as far as we know, they are not getting funding from the Russian government. Uh, I don't think they even live in Russia. They find their own sponsors, find their own financing. And and like I said, you know, the, the only thing going against them is that the, the fact that they are Russian nationals, you know. So it, it, it's, it's a bit tough on them, I think. Well, uh, we're out of time. So that wraps it up for another Podball Sportscast. Uh, but before we go, I just want to say that uh, we have to celebrate our small wins. You got out of bed today. That is a win. Uh, you made your bed. That's a win too. So don't shy away from these uh, small victories. If they make you feel good, that's a win. Take note, United fans. Take care of your mental health, my friends. Stay awesome. I am Faisal American. And I'm Nicholas John. <laughs>